Section 15 of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section 15. Book 4. Part 2. When the heroes had left the maiden on the island of Artemis, according to the covenant, both sides ran their ships to land separately, and Jason went to the ambush to lie in wait for Apsyrtus, and then for his comrades. But he, beguiled by these dire promises, swiftly crossed the swell of the sea in his ship, and in dark night set foot on the sacred island, and faring all alone to meet her, he made trial and speech of his sister as a tender child tries a wintry torrent, which not even strong men can pass through, to see if she would devise some guile against the strangers. And so they two agreed together on everything, and straightway Aeson's son leapt forth from the thick ambush, lifting his bare sword in his hand, and quickly the maiden turned her eyes aside, and covered them with her veil, that she might not see the blood of her brother, when he was smitten. And Jason marked him, and struck him down, as a butcher strikes down a mighty strong-horned bull, hard by the temple which the Brygi, on the mainland opposite, had once built for Artemis. In its vestibule he fell on his knees, and at last the hero, breathing out his life, caught up in both hands the dark blood, as it welled from the wound, and he died with red, his sister's silvery veil and robe as she shrank away, and with swift side-glance the irresistible pitiless fury beheld the deadly deed they had done, and the hero, Aeson's son, cut off the extremities of the dead man, and thrice licked up some blood, and thrice spat the pollution from his teeth, as it is right for the slayer to do, to atone for a treacherous murder, and the clammy corpse he hid in the ground, where even now, those bones lie among the Psyrtians. Now as soon as the heroes saw the blaze of a torch, which the maiden raised from them, as a sign to pursue, they laid their own ship near the Colchian ship, and they slaughtered the Colchian host as kites slay the tribes of wood-pigeons, or as lions of the wold, when they have leapt amid the stealing, drive a great flock of sheep huddled together. Nor did one of them escape death, but the heroes rushed upon the whole crew, destroying them like a flame, and at last Jason met them, and was eager to give aid where none was needed, but already they were taking thought for him too. Thereupon they sat to devise some prudent counsel for their voyage, and the maiden came upon them as they pondered, but Peleus spake his word first. I now bid you embark while it is still night and take with your oars the passage opposite to that which the enemy guards, for at dawn, when they see their plight, I deem that no word urging to further pursuit of us will prevail with them, but as people bereft of their king, they will be scattered in grievous dissension. And easy, when the people are scattered, will this path be for us on our return. Thus he spake, and the youths assented to the words of Aeacus's son, and quickly they entered the ship, and toiled at their oars unceasingly, 
until they reached the sacred isle of Electra, the highest of them all, near the river Eridanus. But when the Colchians learned the death of their prince, verily they were eager to pursue Argo and the Minians through all the Cronian sea. But Hera restrained them by terrible lightnings from the sky, and at last they loathed their own homes in the Cytean land, quailing before Aetis's fierce wrath. So they landed and made abiding homes there, scattered far and wide. Some set foot on those very islands where the heroes had stayed, and they still dwell there, bearing a name derived from Apsyrtus, and others built a fenced city by the dark deep Illyrian river, where is the tomb of Harmonia and Cadmus, dwelling among the Enchalians, and others live amid the mountains which are called the Thunderers, from the day when the thunders of Zeus, son of Cronos, prevented them from crossing over to the island opposite. Now the heroes, when their return seemed safe for them, fared onward and made their houses fast to the land of the Hylaeans, for the islands lay thick in the river and made the path dangerous for those who sailed thereby. Nor as aforetime did the Hylaeans devise their hurt, but of their own accord furthered their passage, winning as Gurdon, a mighty tripod of Apollo. For tripods twain had Phoebus given to Aeson's son, to carry afar in the voyage he had to make. At the time, when he went to sacred Pytho, to inquire about this very voyage, and it was ordained by fate, that in whatever land they should be placed, that land should never be ravaged by the attacks of foemen. Therefore, even now this tripod is hidden in that land near the pleasant city of Hylus, far beneath the earth, that it may ever be unseen by mortals. Yet they found not King Hylus still alive in the land, whom fair Melite bare to Heracles in the land of the Phaeacians. For he came to the abode of Nausithus and to Macris, the nurse of Dionysus, to cleanse himself from the deadly murder of his children. Here he loved and overcame the water-nymph Melite, the daughter of the river Aegis, and she bare mighty Hylus. But when he had grown up, he desired not to dwell in that island under the rule of Nausithus the king, but he collected a host of native Phaeacians and came to the Cronian Sea, for the hero king Nausithus aided his journey. And there he settled, and the Mentores slew him as he was fighting for the oxen of his field. Now, goddesses, say how it is that beyond the sea, near the land of Ausonia and the Logistian Isles, which are called Stokades, the mighty tracks of the ship Argo are clearly sung off. What great constraint and need brought the heroes so far? What breezes wafted them? When Apsyrtus had fallen in mighty overthrow, Zeus himself, king of gods, was seized with wrath at what they had done, and he ordained that by the counsels of Aeon Circe they should cleanse themselves from the terrible stain of blood and suffer countless woes before their return. Yet none of the chieftains knew this, but far onward they sped, starting from the Hylian land, and they left behind all the islands that were before time thronged by the Colchians, the Liburnian Isles, isle after isle, Issa, Discaladus, and the lovely Pitiaea. Next after them they came to Corsera, 
where poseidon settled the daughter of asopus fair-haired corsera far from the land of phleus whence he had carried her off through love and sailors beholding it from the sea all black with its sombre woods called it corsera the black and next they passed meliti rejoicing in the soft blowing breeze and steep cirrhosis and nymphaea at a distance where lady calypso daughter of atlas dwelt and they deemed they saw the misty mountain of thunder and then hera bethought her of the counsels and wrath of zeus concerning them and she devising an ending of their voyage and stirred up storm winds before them by which they were caught and borne back to the rocky isle of electra and straightway on a sudden they called to them in the midst of their course speaking with a human voice the beam of the hollow ship which athena had set in the centre of the stem made of dodonian oak and deadly fear seized them as they heard the voice that told of the grievous wrath of zeus for it proclaimed that they should not escape the paths of an endless sea nor grievous tempests unless circe should purge away the guilt of the ruthless murder of Epsiotus. and it bade polydeuces and castor pray to the immortal gods first to grant a path through the ausonian sea where they should find circe daughter of percy and helios thus argo cried through the darkness and the sons of tyndareus uprose and lifted their hands to the immortals praying for each boon but dejection held the rest of the minion heroes and far on sped argo under sail and entered deep into the stream of eridanus where once smitten on the breast by the blazing bolt phaeton half consumed fell from the chariot of helios into the opening of that deep lake and even now it belcheth up heavy steam clouds from the smouldering wound and no bird spreading its light wings can cross that water but in mid-course it plunges into the flame fluttering and all around the maidens the daughters of helios enclosed in tall poplars wretched wail a piteous plaint and from their eyes they shed on the ground bright drops of amber these are dried by the sun upon the sand but whenever the waters of the dark lake flow over the strand before the blast of the wailing wind they then roll on in a mass into eridanus with swelling tide but the celts have attached the story to them that these are the tears of leto's son apollo that are borne along by the eddies the countless tears that he shed aforetime when he came to the sacred race of the hyperboreans and left shining heaven at the chiding of his father being in wrath concerning his son whom divine coronis bare in bright lyceria in bright lacerea at the mouth of amyrus and such is the story told among these men but no desire for food or drink seized the heroes nor were their thoughts turned to joy but they were sorely afflicted all day heavy and faint at heart with the noisome stench hard to endure which the streams of eridanus sent forth from phaeton still burning and at night they heard the piercing lament of the daughters of helios wailing with shrill voice and as they lamented their tears were borne on the water like drops of oil thence they entered the deep stream of rhodanus which flows into eridanus and where they meet there is a roar of mingling waters now that river rising from the ends of the earth where are the portals and mansions of night 
on one side bursts forth upon the beach of ocean at another pours into the ionian sea and on the third through seven mouths sends its stream to the sardinian sea and its limitless bay and from rhodanus they entered stormy lakes which spread throughout the celtic mainland of wondrous size and there they would have met with an inglorious calamity for a certain branch of the river was bearing them towards a gulf of ocean which in ignorance they were about to enter and never would they have returned from there in safety but hera leaping forth from heaven pealed her cry from the hercynian rock and altogether was shaken with fear of her cry for terribly crashed the mighty firmament and backward they turned by reason of the goddess and noted the path by which their return was ordained and after a long while they came to the beach of the surging sea by the devising of hera passing unharmed through countless tribes of the celts and lygians for round them the goddess poured a dread mist day by day as they fared on and so sailing through the midmost mouth they reached the stocades islands in safety by the aid of the sons of zeus wherefore altars and sacred rites are established in their honour for ever and not that seafaring alone did they attend to succour but zeus granted to them the ships of future sailors too and leaving the stocades they passed on to the island of ethalia where after their toil they wiped away with pebbles sweat in abundance and pebbles like skin in colour are strewn on the beach and there are their quoits and their wondrous armour and there is the argoan harbour called after them and quickly from there they passed through the sea beholding the tyrrhenian shores of ausonia and they came to the famous harbour of aeia and from the ship they cast hawsers to the shore near at hand and here they found circe bathing her head in the salt sea spray for sorely had she been scared by visions of the night with blood her chambers and all the walls of her palace seemed to be running and flame was devouring all the magic herbs with which she used to bewitch strangers whoever came and she herself with murderous blood quenched the glowing flame drawing it up in her hands and she ceased from deadly fear wherefore when morning came she rose and with sea spray was bathing her hair and her garments and beasts not resembling the beasts of the wild nor yet like men in body but with a medley of limbs went in a throng as sheep from the fold in multitudes follow the shepherd such creatures compacted of various limbs did each herself produce from the primeval slime when she had not yet grown solid beneath a rainless sky nor yet had received a drop of moisture from the rays of the scorching sun but time combined these forms and marshalled them in their ranks in such wise these monsters shapeless of form followed her an exceeding wonder seized the heroes and at once as each gazed on the form and face of circe they readily guessed that she was the sister of aetes end of section fifteen read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama